This episode is powered by Safety FM. The Crucial Talks Podcast with your host, Mike Saddam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Saddam. As always, if you could do me a quick favor, I'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast and subscribe to it. That really helps us a lot in growing the community of people that are really interested in what drives them and what drives other people. And also, if you have any questions for me, you can always reach me by visiting CrucialTalks.com or reach out to me through LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever works for you. Now, at its core, the Crucial Talks podcast is all about people as social storytellers, about how we make decisions based on the roles we play, the identities we adopt, the groups we belong to, and how those behaviors really give meaning to everything we do. And that's the same thing in business, in relationships, in communities, in societies. Those drivers are present in everybody. Now, as you know, this year, I've really tried to reach out to some people that can add a lot of value to the audience, to people listening, that they really have experience to give to people so you can take a lot of value from listening to these episodes. Now, today's guest is Eric Clark. He is a consultant, an entrepreneur, a board member, and he has experience in consumer goods, manufacturing, and retail. Now, Eric has been a leader and has held positions as a strategy consultant an advisory consultant, and also serves as the COO of Fitz Business Solutions, which he also co-founded. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Eric Clark to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you today, Eric? Hey, Mike. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's really great because you have such a great background that that's why, I mean, I'll let everybody know, I actually reached out to Eric because I got to know him on LinkedIn, saw some things he was doing, and the reality is he has such a great background and experience and education that I really thought it would be beneficial to get somebody like him on the show, somebody who has been in the trenches and not only building his own business and running his own teams, but also being a consultant and advisor in other businesses and getting this broader exposure to other organizations out there. So that's why it really was cool to, to have him come on to the Crucial Talks podcast. So as we start, I really want to know a little bit more about you, Eric. I mean, I, can, I know a little bit about what you've done, but you've, you've really traveled this path in life that's gotten you to this place where you can run your own business, still be a good consultant, still advise people, run events, that sort of thing. But what did that journey actually look like to get you to this place where you're able to, to really have a, an insight into businesses, helping others, and also running your own successful business? What did that path look like for you? Oh, it was an interesting path. Um, some of it was definitely planned. Some of it was uh, a bit serendipitous. Uh, I started out in a very small town. I, I grew up in a town of 4,000 people. And really, the, the start of my career started out with my, my dad uh, working in a paper mill and, you know, just kind of having this vision for me as being the engineer that, that you know, saw how things worked in the mill rather than being one of the operators like he was. So that was kind of where I started and got my vision as, you know, as far as the, that early start. And uh, 
kind of saw that portion of it through. I got my uh, undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering at the University of Maine. Uh, from there, I went to the ports of Naval Shipyard, uh, spent a year, a little over a year there. Uh, I was working on, uh, those that don't know, the ports of Naval Shipyard is a submarine overhaul facility. So my first job uh, was crawling through a submarine, turning things on and off and figuring out if they functioned properly. Uh, and that was very characteristic of the first portion of my career. I did a little more engineering, did about eight years total of uh engineering work and uh, I got to a point where I kind of reached the ceiling of my, my engineering career. It would, I was kind of at the, the top of where I was going to go and started really thinking about um, what my next steps were in life and in my career and got researching grad schools and decided that, you know, of all the places that I looked at that Carnegie Mellon was going to be a great place for me because they had a great ops program. Uh, really hard school to get into. I wasn't sure if I was going to pull it off or not, but at the end of the day, it all kind of came together. And from there, I got really got interested in uh, business consulting. I had, you know, in my previous career, I had worked on kind of smaller projects, making machines work, uh, small gears in the machine. Whereas, you know, I came to find out that when you're talking about strategy and business strategy and all those things, you kind of get to look at the machine as a whole and understand how those little intricate pieces kind of interact with each other. But I became really interested in doing that. Um, struggled a little bit because I do have a family. I've got three little girls, and uh, consulting is a very strenuous job. It, you know, requires a lot of time. But ultimately, decided you know this was a once in a lifetime thing. I had to jump into it, and uh, you know, if it didn't work out, I could always scale back. So I, you know, from grad school, I went to PwC. Uh, for those who don't know who aren't familiar with that company, they're the at the time they were the world's largest professional services firm. They do accounting and consulting. I was a consultant. Uh, worked with mostly Fortune 500 companies, uh, large companies, multi-billion dollar companies, working on their operations, their operations strategies, laying a lot of business strategy too for, for portions of those businesses. I wasn't like I pretend I was running a you know $100 billion company all on my own, but we, we take aspects of their strategy, you know, particularly operations, supply chain, things like that, and try to figure out how to um, make them run better, make them uh, functionally stronger, make them financially more viable. And, um, you know, I did that for five years. And you know, after five years of consulting, it felt like there was a you know, bit of a need for a change. You know, I, I really wanted to really want to see if I could build something, grow something. And as it turned out, while I was off doing all this crazy consulting stuff, my wife had built a business uh, this entrepreneurial business that we're doing together now, uh, it's business solutions. And she had built a good portion of it uh, while I was doing the consulting. And it just made sense after, you know, about this time last year, it made sense for me to stop doing consulting and, and stay at home and help build out this uh, entrepreneurial venture uh, with the two of us. So that's kind of where I, how I ended up here. I went from... <clears throat> Went from an engineer at kind of medium-sized businesses to grad school to working, you know, in corporate offices in, in some of the largest companies in the world. Now starting my own entrepreneurial journey and uh, an interesting ride. I've seen a lot of things, done a lot of different things, met a lot of different really interesting people uh, to kind of get me where I'm standing today. So um, that's kind of in a nutshell. 
Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was kind of drawn to your profile and getting to know you a little bit on LinkedIn, seeing what you were doing is really because one of the things I talk about a lot on the podcast is self-transformation and the roles we play. And I mentioned that at the beginning of the episode. The reason I did was because you have had this ability to play different roles in your life and you've been able to do it successful. You went from engineer to student to a corporate office to now running your own business, business, which is really this a, a transformational process that you had to, I mean, you had to, to consciously decide to do that. And so before we get into some of the things we might be able to learn from all your experiences, I really wanted to touch a little bit on the, this personal journey you had. So when you went from being an engineer to then transitioning to being in a corporate office where you're serving as a consultant, what did that transformational process look like? Because you couldn't bring the same skills you had crawling around in a submarine, turning things on and off to see if they worked. You had to change behaviors. How did you actually, how did you learn those behaviors? How did you transition from somebody who was an engineer to somebody who was a consultant dealing mostly with people as opposed to dealing with a piece of machinery? Yeah, that was an interesting transition. A uh, lot of learning, a lot of watching other people, uh, understanding how they did it, a uh, lot picking up good habits, uh, a lot of trial and error, didn't do it all right the first time. Uh, it was an interesting transition going from an engineer working with you know, sailors and mechanics to being a consultant working with you know, business professionals. There's, there's different languages, there, there's different behaviors, there's different nuances. And uh, there's different outcomes. Uh, particularly engineering, if you get the right answer, you're right. It's much more black and white. It's much more obvious. And even if you don't necessarily possess the people skills to, to get everybody to buy into the answer, if it's correct, it's correct. So, um, you know, early in my career, being an engineer and, and having machines and coming up with, you know, black and white, right and wrong answers, uh, I picked up those skills and developed those fairly well. Uh, the, the biggest transition for me going from that to consulting is that uh, you got to pick up the people skills. And uh, th- that was something that I, I learned fairly quickly during my internship that, that I had some work to do. Um, you know, like I said, right, wrong answers don't necessarily require a lot of savvy. But when you're a business consultant and you're working with people that have been in their jobs for 10, 15, 20 years and they've been doing it a certain way, uh, you can't just give them a right answer and say, this is it, go implement it. Uh, th- there's a hundred things wrong with that statement I just made, uh, saying that somebody else in a, in a business environment. Um, so maybe talking through a little bit of it is, you know, the first thing that, that is really an issue is that, you know, as a consultant, people come in, they're kind of scared of you. They, they always think downsizing. They always think bad things when the truth is, is that we're really just trying to improve processes uh, and, and make businesses better. You know, especially... And a lot of the projects I was at, we didn't do much downsizing. It was really just process and performance improvement and uh, making the numbers match up. So gaining that trust and building a, you know, a rapport with individuals just to get the ball rolling and just to get the information and get things started was a, a big piece for me. And that's just a, a matter of you know, general kind of manners, but something that I hadn't had to do much in my previous career. Um, you know, one other thing that I forgot to mention is that these projects are fairly quick turnover. They're three to six months. So you can do all this in a hurry. Um, so 
sitting people down and talking with them, you know, especially on an individual basis, kind of letting them know what the project is, what the expectations are, how you plan on interacting. That's, that's a huge thing. Just teeing up a conversation so they know what to expect from you. So you're not this enigma in a, in an office for the, you know, the better part of three months and kind of getting that comfort level so that you can have conversations with individuals to get the ball rolling is a big step. Um, I'd say the, the other big part of, of doing consulting work and making sure that the projects turn out well is that um, you have to co-create these things with, with the people that are on the ground that are going to be there uh, six months, two years from, from when you leave. Uh, because like I mentioned, when I, do a, when I did a project, it was three to six months and I was gone. We would implement things uh, most, most of the time to the, to the very end, but it was up to the people that were in the business that were going to make sure that these things stuck around, these changes and improvements stuck for you know, two, three, four years down the road. So uh, one big part of doing that was to make them part of the creation process so that they understood why things were happening, why things were changing. So some of the ideas that came in place were actually came from them uh, so that the, you know, the solution and the answer was theirs as much as it was, as it was yours. And, and having that, that ownership and that pride in the solution and improving their, their own business, that was a big part of making sure that projects uh, stuck beyond the date that I left. Because there's plenty of stories in consulting where people do great work, but they, it doesn't get implemented. It just ends up becoming shelfware, huge waste of money. And there's also the success stories where changes stick and they make a huge, they play a huge role in the success of a business long after you leave. And uh, if you want to be in that latter category, getting the people on the ground to buy into what you're doing and excited about the changes that you're making, is a huge, huge part of that. That, that, those two things I think were probably the biggest transitions for me and having those conversations with people and, and generating a group and, and generating some buy-in and generating some excitement um, in consulting where I didn't really have to do that before. I could just be right or wrong. Yeah. And I really want to unpack some of what you said, because there was a lot of value in just hearing the story of your transition and what you learned. So I love the fact you start out saying, Hey, when you come into a business and you come in as a consultant people are scared of you at first because they don't know the reason you're there. And I think back to um, office space where the consultants come in for downsizing and that's what, you know, I mean, people watch movies and stuff and that's what people think. They don't know why you're there. And I love the fact you're able to hit on the fact that you have to have conversations. And the reason you have those conversations early is because you saw the value of trust and building rapport with the people there. So, when you had those conversations, when were you, when you were trying to build trust, what did you see as some of the, I guess, some of the, the beneficial things you would say so that they would understand really quick that you're there to help and actually not actually hurt their, their position? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny you mentioned Office Space. You wouldn't, re- you wouldn't believe how many times that movie's been referenced or how many times I've been called Bob in the course of my career. <laughs> I was up a lot, believe it or not, in, in that exact way. Uh, I guess I guess some of the things that I tried to do with people, you know, especially early on to get them to kind of generate a level of comfort about what we're doing is, I mean, one thing that helped a lot is just say, hey, we're not here forever. You know, we're here temporarily. We're just trying to help out a little bit. And uh, 
know, I think the other thing too that that helped a lot now that I think about it a little bit is that whenever I went into an office and, and had people that I was working with, I'd ask them about them and what they've done and what they've experienced and what their pain points and what their frustration are. And, and you know, once you get the convert once you once you get them talking about their job and their and you know their pain points and their frustrations and, and you can start having conversations about how I can incorporate that into my project so that they their lives are better. Um, that that really gets the ball rolling. If you start making about them and how you're going to help them out, and coincidentally, really mean it. Uh, you can't just play lip service, but if you start having those conversations about how their lives are going to improve, how the business is going to improve, and you incorporate them in it specifically, and ask them what their pain points are and what they're frustrated about. Uh, it really kind of opens up the conversation to where they want to help at that point because they, they don't, I mean, we've all had jobs that we just trudged through and it was the same old stuff every day that was going wrong and everybody could predict it, but nobody did anything about it. People hate that. People really want those things to go away. You can be part of the solution to lift one of those things off their shoulders and, and make tomorrow a little less, a little less of that, you know, drag on the, on the workday than, People really appreciate that. So that I think that's kind of where you start with that conversation. Just letting them know that you're on their side and you're trying to help out rather than, you know, being one of the bobs and, and quizzing them about what their job functions are and potentially losing a job. Yeah. And I think, again, you have a lot of value there too, because what you're telling me is the same thing I hear in a lot of organizations where it really does come down to being trying to be part of their group. I mean, you're coming in as an outsider. Mm. So bridging that gap is difficult for a lot of people and bridging a gap between people is super tough, not only for somebody like you that comes in as a consultant who is obviously an outsider, but there's also value in what you said to people that are, that are outsiders in an organization. So if there's not trust between say supervisors and line personnel or the executives and the people doing the job on the, you know, on the manufacturing floor, that sort of thing. Those same, those same things you talked about really apply. And I love what you said that you not only have to make it about them and by making it about them, you almost become part of their group. You're not, but you're, you're able to be at least allowed in and not viewed as an enemy. But then you said, but you have to mean it. And I think authenticity is another part of that that you said that is really valuable to organizations now or consultants coming in or safety professionals trying to impact a safety program. Whatever it happens to be when we're dealing with people, authenticity and the fact that you recognize you had to make it about them really means a lot. And I wanted to segue now similar to that. You said that you asked them about their pain points and their frustrations. And then earlier, you also said that what you did was actually talk to them because they're going to be doing the job when you're gone and you made them part of the solution. How valuable is that notion of, of getting feedback and getting buy-in because you want to make the people you're talking to part of the solution? Honestly, at the end of the day, that's the most valuable thing in the world in a project like that because once you leave, the people on the ground that are that are there that are part of the business, they can torpedo your project in a week. <laughs> Sometimes it's just that quick. And if if they hate you from day one and you don't fix that and they hate you the day you leave, 
you can do the best work in the world that could solve everybody's ills, it could solve everybody's problems, but if they don't like you and they don't like the solution you came up with, it's not going to stick. So at the end of the day, if you can't get some buy-in and some excitement and some real champions on the ground to make sure that your work is continued after you leave, uh, your, your project might as well have not have even happened. Um, what's worse, it would probably be better if it didn't because that was a whole lot of money that went into getting nothing done. Yeah, and I, I hear the same thing with a lot of, of safety programs, again, where people really need to be part of the solution. And so many times in organizations, I mean, we after the Industrial Revolution, a lot of organizations kind of took a lot of what they learned from scientific management and things like that, where they looked at the worker and they looked at people as problems to be solved. But what I love about what you're saying and what you've learned experience of dealing with a number of people in a number of organizations is the fact that you looked at people not as problems to be solved, but you looked at people as part of the solution and people that can bring value to what you're trying to implement. And it seems like that's a pretty important part of any any change management or any new program is getting that buy-in and putting on the lens where you actually see the people doing the work as having value and having the ability to input a lot of the solutions that can, that can help that program or that project succeed. That's what it sounds like you saw in your experience. Is that, is that accurate? Oh yeah. Yeah. The human element plays a big role in it. And, you know, in talking earlier about transition, that, that was a big part of the learning curve for me was that you know, being an engineer, I had to, I just had to come up with the answer, but um, you know, as you, get further in your career, it really doesn't matter what it is. The further you get in your career and the more people you have to deal with, the more you have to take into account the human element of, of any project. And, you know, consulting in particular, a lot of what I was doing, there, there aren't right and wrong answers. So there are a dozen good answers. If you have a good answer that you want implemented, you, you have to have the human element. You have to, you can't treat everybody like a chess piece. You've got to treat them like people. And so they appreciate they have to appreciate you and the solution. So yeah, that human element is always a huge, huge aspect in consulting work in particular. Well, and it, it really seems like what you have learned, you're putting into your new, I guess your new business venture your, that your wife started, the entrepreneur in you now gets to become a bigger role in your life. So uh, all of that stuff you kind of learned as an engineer and as a consultant what portions of that are making its way into your new venture as an entrepreneur? Oh, well, that's a good question. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this before we got started. Uh, the, the live event that uh, Danielle and I are putting together, uh, Entrepreneur City Live, is uh, you know, something that we put together with a lot of what I just discussed in mind. Uh, you know, again, something we talked about a little earlier, a lot of a lot of live events, you get a lot of sales and you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of bravado, a lot of sales, but not necessarily uh, the, the teaching aspect of it. So something that we tried to, we tried to turn our event on its head a little bit and have our speakers at our event uh, teach first. We, want, we gave everybody 45 minutes on stage and we're asking everybody, you know, teach the audience, show them something, give them something of value. And, and show them what you're, what you're made of and, and then have a conversation about sales and what you do, you know, tomorrow, the day after, you know, as far as working. Make, make sure that you connect with them. Make sure that you provide some value and 
really teach them, really give them something to think about so that even if they don't buy something from you, that they're thinking about you three weeks later and you gave them something that they can utilize. Uh, so I guess that's kind of part of where that's played in, in our current business in this live event is that, you know, stepping away from that straight sales mentality and treating people more like human beings, like people you're trying to build a relationship with, rather than, you know, treating it like a sales process and just crunching numbers and wins and things like that. So that, that's a big part of, I'd say, where my, my previous learnings have come into play with what we're doing now. Well, and what you said there, I mean, I love the, the fact that you you were so passionate about what you're doing that you decided to create a live event. I mean, those things are tough to do, but I really like where your focus is because your focus is just like it was as a, as a consultant. You are now focused on the people first and giving value to them and getting buy-in and doing what you can so that when they, they come out at the back end of this, when they leave the event, you somehow have removed friction from their life. You somehow have made something better for them. And that's what I really like about what you're doing and this, this event. Cause I didn't even uh, after having conversed with you on LinkedIn and things like that, I didn't even know this event was coming till we started talking prior to recording the episode. And I really like that fact that you are focused first on the people giving them value and planting those seeds because you know, you're going to, that those people by getting value, it'll turn into to better relationships and better businesses in the long run. It really sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like when we're thinking about business strategy, that we can gain value from how you're running this live event, because what it really seems like is you're playing the, the long game. You're running the marathon, not the sprint. Yeah, that, that, that's a, a great way to summarize it. And that, that's really the game plan of what we're doing with this, uh, this live event or business in general is that you, you take care of people first and the results will follow. You know, I know that a lot of people just kind of go hardcore sales, 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 you know, worry about taking care of people, you know, after the check is cleared. But, you know, if you do it the other way around, you take care of people, you educate them, you help them along the way. And, and you know, the sales part is definitely part of it because it's a business, but it, it's really kind of secondary because you want to build those relationships. You want to have a long-term business. Uh, you, you take care of the people first. And, you know, that's what we, we're doing with our live event. We're taking care of our, our speakers. We're taking care of our audience. And with the idea that you know, when we do those things, everything else will take care of itself. And, uh, like that saying, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. That's the premise we're working under. We want everybody to prosper so that we can prosper and, you know, all of they, they can prosper as well. Yeah, and I've, I've talked to people about this before, and I use um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for this. And the way I do it is I really tell people, hey, a lot of businesses can meet those two bottom rungs, right? Mm. Providing them safety, providing them, you know, a paycheck, providing them shelter, that sort of thing. But the reality is if we flip that on its head, which is really what I think a lot of businesses have trouble with and a lot of salespeople have trouble with is they're focused on the bottom line, the dollar first. Mm. But if we provide those, those higher levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the esteem and the love and the trust, all that other stuff will, will come out of that. And that's what I think you're trying to do. And what I actually really love about what you're saying is the fact that you are recognizing that people are people and they're not pieces of machine and they're not 
resources just to be managed and they're not just something you're trying to get something out of, that you're actually focused on people as people and people are social. And that's how we're programmed and we always have been and we always will be. So the fact that you're focusing on them first, I think adds a lot of value to people and really has some some great lessons for people because I think that if we can if we can change the way we look at people and change the way we look at business relationships and actually look at them as human-based relationships instead of just an exchange of money or services, I think all that other stuff, the money and the success and all that can come afterwards. Is that what you're, you're trying to go for with this, this live event? Yeah, I think that's, that's you hit the nail on the head. And I love that you use Maslow's hierarchy of needs because I reference that all the time. Um, yeah, really, we want to we want to bring some of the personal side back to business. We, we don't want this to be we don't want we're going to have 500 people there, but we don't want this to be some cattle herding activity where we drag all these people in, we sell them for two solid days, and then we leave with their checkbooks. And we want to build some relationships. We want you know, personally, I want to build some relationships, but I want my people, I want the people that attend the event to build relationships amongst themselves. I want them to have the opportunity to. to interact and connect with each other as human beings. Now, that's a great thing about these live events is that you, you get out from behind your computer screen once in a while and get to actually rub elbows with, with real people and, and have those real conversations. And, uh, and when you have the opportunity to do that on such a large scale, you know, great things happen. You build relationships you know, faster than you would any other way. You meet people that you, you, know, you normally wouldn't meet because you're not trying to use an algorithm in your LinkedIn profile to find these people. It's, uh, it's very organic, it's very natural, and it's like you said, it's very humanistic. It's a very humanistic way of running a business. And it's, to me, it's, it, it's funner, it's more enjoyable to, to see you know, a room of people prospering rather than just seeing a room of dollar signs and you know, people to extract money from. So yeah, I think you had it, I, I think you called it perfectly. It's something that we're trying to build a little humanity back into these types of events. and. Uh, in general, just building some humanity into our business and then, you know, working on those relationships, having that long-term play. Well, I think that's really a a great point you made and and kind of a great place to kind of wrap up this episode is the fact that people are people and that I love that you guys are focused on people first. And what I, what I really want to, to point out is that if people can go to events like this, that it doesn't matter how great your product is or how glossy your sales pitch is or what product you can offer, what it looks like and the data behind it. But it really is about the relationships and the connections. Because if you're able to, even in a, even in a two or three day event, if you're able to build those bonds of trust or at least plant those seeds of trust, they can grow into business opportunities later and long-term relationships, not just making the sale for one thing, but really, it could be exponential in the future. And that's what I really like about what you're doing. I'm glad you were, you were able to touch on this event. So if more people want to get more information about you or the event, where can they get more information about that? Where can they get in contact with you if they have any questions? Yeah, uh, so if anybody would like to learn more about the event, I can go to our webpage. It's uh, www.entrepreneurcitylive.com. It's all one word. Uh, we've got a you know, our, our list of speakers, you got some information on the event. I uh, ticket sales on there as well. If you're interested in attending, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can uh, shoot me an email. Uh, it's uh, eric.clark at fitsbusiness.com 
or you can look me up on LinkedIn. It's Eric Clark, um, Eric with a K. So you can find me. Uh, happy to have conversations with people, learn more about your bit, your businesses and um, build those relationships. Well, great. And we really thank you, Eric, for coming on. You had a lot of great value there and a lot of great information just because of your background alone and the, the transformation you underwent and how you had to learn about people. And by learning about people and the importance of those relationships, I mean, you actually you actually created an event to help people understand that. So that's, that's really great to know. I, I love the fact that you're, you and your wife are doing this, that, that you have taken all of this knowledge, filtered it, and used it to continue to build a positive-based business and dealing with people as people. It really is a great thing. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing some of your knowledge with us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Mike. This has been great. I appreciate the time to kind of talk about, you know, some things that I've been up to, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, definitely. I, I'd love to talk to you afterwards, after the Entrepreneur City live event in Atlanta, just, uh, and that's in June, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mention the date. It's June 7th through 9th in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's at the, um, the Army in downtown. It's a great location, great venue, and uh, really looking forward to it. Great. Well, uh, hopefully we can talk to you afterwards, see how it went, see if uh, your vision matches what you accomplished, any lessons you learned I think would be valuable for people. So thanks again for coming on. If uh, anybody out there, if you have any questions for me, feel free to reach out at crucialtalks.com, connect with me on email, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, whatever works best for you. There will be links to the Entrepreneur City Live event in the show notes. And really just wanted to thank Eric for coming on. So if everybody out there, if you got any value from this conversation we had with Eric Clark, please share the podcast with other people. I really want to grow the community of people we have that are interested in what drives them and what drives other people. Have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. Please review, share, and subscribe to the Crucial Talks podcast. Visit CrucialTalks.com.